You are listening to the Hill City Church Podcast. Our mission is to become and make disciples who walk with God, connect with people, and impact the world. I'm excited uh, to be with you this morning. We are closing out our prayer life teaching series. I hope this prayer series has been helpful to you. Has it been helpful to anyone? Okay, very good. This is this has been a series that uh, at the very beginning I said this is not your 101 prayer series. This is kind of really the goal of this series has been to stretch, expand the ways that we pray, and we've been looking at actual prayers that actual people prayed from Scripture. And essentially just asking the question, what if we learn to pray like them? And if you've missed any of these, you can always go back on podcasts or on YouTube. You can find the rest of the series. But some of the things we've been learning to pray with is we've been learning to pray with tears. We've been learning to pray and ask God for mercy, to ask God for boldness, to ask God for unity. And today is one of my favorite prayers, the prayer for wisdom. Think for just a moment. What do you need wisdom for in your life right now? What are the things that you could use wisdom for the most? Maybe for you, you've been thinking about the future and you've got some decisions to make that'll impact the course of your life and you need wisdom in that area. For some of you, you need wisdom with finances. How am I gonna pay for all the Christmas gifts? How am I gonna pay my debt? How am I gonna save or invest my money? For some of you, you need wisdom in relationships. Maybe there's a relationship that's strained Maybe you, have a, you need some reconciliation in a relationship and, or just tricky, you know, this next week, how am I gonna spend an hour at a dinner table with my crazy family? It's like, you need wisdom. For you, maybe you need wisdom in parenting. I mean, what parent doesn't need wisdom? And how to discipline your children, how to love your children, how to encourage them and, and, and point them to Jesus. Or maybe for you, you, the thing you've been thinking about the most is how can I make the biggest difference for God's kingdom? And that's what you need wisdom for. If we think about it, there are many different ways that we need wisdom. And yet, if you're anything like me, wisdom doesn't always show up in my prayers. Because we typically ask God for the thing not the wisdom to do the thing. Does that make sense? This is the difference between God give this to me or God do this for me and here I am, send me. And the reason why I think wisdom doesn't always show up is because wisdom gets us involved. Wisdom anticipates and expects us to be involved in the answer to our prayers. And so this is a risky prayer to pray to pray the prayer for wisdom, is not just to pray that God would save your child, but to give you the wisdom to raise your child in the wisdom instruction of the Lord. If you're gonna pray for wisdom in your finances, it's not just God, bring in the money, provide for me, it's God, give me the wisdom to manage what you've already given me. You see the difference between those two? And so to pray for wisdom is not actually to even pray for God to do something for you, but for God to give you the direction you need to navigate difficult situations. Do you want to learn to pray this way? It's a risky way to pray. Let's go ahead and jump in. We're going to be in 1 Kings chapter 3. You can open your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 3. We'll be in that uh, passage. It's a famous passage about wisdom. It's Solomon's dream, Solomon's prayer 
for wisdom, and uh, we're going to go ahead and jump in. In 1 Kings chapter 3, starting in verse 4, and the king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for that was the great high place, and Solomon used to offer a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, ask what I shall give you. So if you thought we had contentious political seasons, just read the book of 1 Kings, okay? There's political plotting, there's assassinations, and Solomon is the third king of Israel, and even he had to execute one of his brothers to become the king. So this is, a, just, just read it, okay? You, you can't make a Veggie Tales out of this kind of stuff. <laughs> some, some brutal stuff takes place. But after a turbulent rise to power, Solomon, David's son to Bathsheba is established as the king of Israel. And what I want to highlight before we get into what happens next is that Solomon goes to Gibeon to worship God, to offer burnt sacrifices to God. When we think worship, we often think sing. If you read through the Old Testament, when they thought worship, they thought sacrifice. Bring a sacrifice to the place of worship. And what's significant about Gibeon is Gibeon would be the resting place for the tabernacle. You might know the story of Scripture and know that Solomon, one of his major contributions during his reign was the construction of the temple. Well, this is the very beginning of Solomon's reign, so what hasn't he built yet? He hasn't built the temple yet. And what the temple would replace is it would replace the portable place of worship, the tabernacle. And in 1 Chronicles chapter 21, we learn that Gibeon would be the resting place for the tabernacle. Another name for the tabernacle is the tent of meeting. This is, this is simply what I want to highlight. God meets Solomon when Solomon goes to a place to meet with God. Do you see that? That God meets with him. Now, this isn't to say that God can't meet with you in your car or in your workplace, or anywhere else, when you're on a hike, when you're walking by the green belt, because God is omnipresent. He's like MasterCard everywhere you want to be, okay? And yet, time and time and time again, you read in Scripture that there is this theology of sacred spaces, of specific places, that if you really want to be in God's presence, or if you really want to hear from God or meet with God, go to that place. And they built altars. It's the idea of here I raise my Ebenezer, because God did something significant, so I'm going to mark this place. So I want to remember that significant thing that God did. I want to go back there. And so the tabernacle is the tent of meeting that, God, that Solomon goes to. And does he casually offer sacrifices? He offers a thousand burnt offerings. We could say he extravagantly goes to that place. He makes a habit of it. So Solomon, this story doesn't just begin with Solomon kind of flippantly approaching God with his relationship. He is devout to God from the beginning of the story. He sacrifices to God. He loves God. And when he makes space to travel to go and worship God, God meets him in a special way. And we could learn something about that. It's why it's important that we gather together as believers to create space, even like physical space to show up, but also space in our calendar, space in our schedule to meet with God. Here's the point. Move closer to hear God more clearly. When we talk about wisdom, often our prayer for wisdom shows up like a prayer for clarity. I wish I could just hear God more clearly. 
Now, usually what we're looking for is we want a sign from God. It's the way that we often pray. God, could you just make it 100% crystal clear, evident what I need to do? We say, God, could you turn up the volume a little bit? Like there's something wrong on his end. Do you see that? And yet I think about 1 Kings 19. Not always, but often God speaks through a still small voice. If you think about Elijah on the mountain, God says, I'm going to show myself to you. And there's a rushing wind, there's a fire, there's an earthquake, and it says, but God was not in those things. God spoke to, to Elijah, the prophet Elijah, through a still small voice. Here's the thing about a whisper. If you want to hear a whisper, you have to do what? You have to lean in. You have to get close. And it's a really intimate thing, actually, for someone to whisper in your ear. Maybe the hair starts standing up on the back of your neck because you can feel their breath. You have to be close. And I wonder sometimes if before we hear God, we actually need to meet with him, to spend time in his presence, to move closer so that we can hear God more clearly. In James 4, 8, it says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. See, God's not playing hide and seek. He's not trying to be distant from us, but he's waiting for us to draw near to him, to welcome us with open arms. And so here in this moment, we see Solomon as a living example of that. Solomon is drawing near to God. He's worshiping God, not earning favor from God, but he's, he's drawing near to him in relationship. And out of that depth of relationship, God appears to him in a dream. And it's this phenomenal story where God gives him essentially a blank check. Ask whatever you want and I'll give it to you. Now put yourself in his shoes for a second. What would you ask for? Money, success, popularity. If your wildest dreams could come true, if God gave you that request. Now this isn't to confuse God with a genie or God with Santa Claus, tis the season, right? This isn't to confuse God uh, with any of those other things. There are times, though, in Scripture where God does ask us to ask him. I think about Jesus asking blind Bartimaeus, what do you want? What do you want from me? And if God were to ask you that, what would you say? See, the things that we typically ask for, if we really think about them, some of those things won't actually matter a hundred years from now. Or let's Let's, let's play it out a little farther. 100,000 years from now, which is another way of saying into eternity. And yet we see this beautiful request when Jesus is hanging on the cross and he has two thieves next to him. And I don't know if there's anything that sobers your clarity of thought more than being in your final moments on earth. Just think about all the different things, all the different things that worry us, that stress us, the things that often fill up the urgent request that we have for God that begin to actually melt away in light of eternity. You see, this, this actually brings into clarity. We can ask God for all these different things, but if we don't have a relationship with God himself, then none of those other things actually really matter that much. And so in this moment, Jesus, the son of the living God, is hanging on the cross, atoning for the sins of the world, and you have one thief on, on one side harassing him, hurling ridicule and insults at him. And the other one sees this as an opportunity 
to make one last request. Look at what he says in Luke 23, verse 42. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Because what good does $10,000 going to do this thief on the cross? Do you see that? What good is all those other things, these urgent things? Help me do well on my physics test. Help me get that promotion. Help me this. Help me that. And there's nothing wrong. We can go before God about big things, about little things. That not, to, not that we should feel guilt or shame at all about asking, because God is a good father who loves giving us good gifts. And yet, in light of eternity, this man has moments to live. And he makes perhaps the most wise request that he could make in this moment. See, I can have all those things. What it, in another sense, what does it profit you to gain the whole world and lose your soul? And this man on the cross realizes he's lived a messed up life. He's lived a life trying to take everything for himself. He's lived a life of sin. And he recognizes Jesus as the Son of God in this moment. And what is his very simple request? Remember me. Have you received Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Today can be the day that you make that simple request. In fact, before you request anything else from God, I'm, I, I would venture to say this is the most important prayer that you need to pray to receive Christ Jesus as your Lord and your Savior. See, the story doesn't end with Christ dying on the cross. He rose from the grave three days later in victory over sin, death, and the devil, and he has the power to forgive your sins and to raise you up into a new life. Would you pray that prayer today? Lord, remember me. Remember me. And you wanna know how willing God is to draw near to you when you draw near to him? Jesus' response is truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. You can have your eternity secured in Christ Jesus, not on your own effort, your own merit, your own work, but account of the work that Christ Jesus has done for you on the cross. I wanna invite you, if you've never received the gospel, today you can pray and ask God to forgive your sin and lead your life, and next week we actually have a couple people signed up already to get baptized. Can we celebrate that? God has been drawing people to himself at our church recently, and it is just... It is so humbling and beautiful to watch. And I just want to invite you to declare your faith in Jesus through baptism. You can find out more and you can sign up at hillcityboise.org slash baptism. Continuing through our text in 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 7. This is Solomon's response. And now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of David my father. And although I am but a little child, I do not know how to go out or come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too many to be numbered or counted for multitude. Give your servant, therefore, here's his request, an understanding mind to govern your people that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to govern this, your great people. What Solomon doesn't ask for is just as important as what he does ask for. He doesn't ask for fame or riches or power or influence. He asks for wisdom. If you're taking notes, what I want to give you is I want to give you five steps for acquiring wisdom, okay? Step one is humility. Step one is humility. Solomon literally says these words, I don't know. He calls himself a little child. Now, is he a little child? Is Solomon six years old? No, he's in his 20s at this point in time. But have you, have you ever encountered a situation like that that makes you feel like a kid again? Or makes you wish you were a kid again and you didn't have to do taxes? 
or change the oil on your car or the maintenance light and you're just like, what do these lights even mean on the dashboard? You try to ignore them. There's, there's these situations that, that, that are just too far above and beyond us that make us, so he's not literally a little child, but in humility he calls himself one. Because wisdom really begins by recognizing I don't know. And if you feel like you do know, then that's actually a barrier to acquiring wisdom from God. Even Solomon's own father speaks these words over him in front of the entire nation in 1 Chronicles 29, verse 1. And David the king said to all the assembly, Solomon, my son, whom alone God has chosen, so he's declaring in front of the kingdom, this is going to be the next king, is young and inexperienced. And Solomon's standing there. He's like, thanks, Dad. And the work is great, for the palace will not be for man, but for the Lord God. And he's talking to the people about how Solomon will be building the temple. And he's like, and just to be honest, I'm probably better suited to do this than he is, but I'm going to be long gone. So just, could everyone make a donation to the temple? That's essentially what, what he goes on to say, because he needs all the help he can get. And so, so Solomon is raised, I think well, by his father to recognize humility. See, the world has a different posture when it comes to presuming understanding. The world has a saying, fake it till you, fake it till you make it. Just pretend you know what you, know, what you don't know. The Bible says, humble yourself before the Lord and he will lift you up. Which one do you want to do? Do you want to fake it and see if that works? Pretend you know the answers? Or do you want to have the literal blessing of the creator of the universe on your side? and allow him to be the one who exalts you at the proper time. Humility is actually the first step. I think of Proverbs 26, verse 12. Do you see a man who is wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him. Strong words. A fool actually has a level up on someone who thinks their own wisdom is sufficient to navigate the difficulties of this life. And so step one really begins with humility. Step two is to acknowledge. It's not enough to just know that you don't know, but you have to acknowledge where proper wisdom comes from. And so proper wisdom comes from God. It's to say, I don't know, but God knows. Not Google knows. <laughs> not ChatGPT knows. Not my horoscope knows. God knows knows. And just, we just have to ask ourselves, where do you typically run to when you're short on solutions, where you have questions, where you need answers? And, and, and in our modern technological day and age, we often rely on artificial intelligence and algorithms. Just think about that title for a second, artificial <laughs> intelligence. Okay, let me just say it again. Artificial, <laughs> fake intelligence. You want to know another attribute of God? God's not only omnipresent, he's omniscient. You know what, you know what omniscient means? All-knowing. You want AI or do you want OI? Omniscient intelligence. <laughs> you can pick. You can pick. And yet often we treat God kind of like he has wisdom about the spiritual stuff. Well, yeah, God knows like about prayer and fasting and all that religious stuff. But is God really qualified to give me marriage advice, dating advice, business advice? 
And we just have to think about, I don't know, he just created the entire universe. You tell me. God is not confined to the religious sector. Look at Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7. This is, this is the beginning of, of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. If you want to be wise, you, it's not enough to just recognize, I don't know, but you have to acknowledge the beginning of wisdom and, and understanding and knowledge is the fear of the Lord, a proper, a healthy respect for who God is. Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, how many of your ways? All your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. And if you're wondering, why has my path not been straight? Have you been acknowledging him? Have you been trusting him with all your heart? Or have you been leaning on your own understanding? And that's actually been the thing that's veered you off course. We have to acknowledge that God actually knows best. John Mark Comer in his book, Live No Lies, says this. He says, but consider this. What if Jesus knew the true nature of reality better than we do? The way of Jesus, following his way, if we read the words of the Sermon on the Mount and we recognize that following the way of Jesus has an implication truly on every area of your life, what if he actually knows the true nature of reality better than we do. Now, here's one of the things that stops us on this one. We might, this might sound good in theory, but in practice, you begin to follow the way of Jesus, it will go against the grain of culture. True? It will actually not just go against the grain of culture, you will look like a fool to your non-believing friends and family members. You experience this. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Why would you sacrifice time showing up at church? Why would you spend precious time reading the Bible? Don't you know there's more interesting audiobooks that you can get for free? Why would you give money to the, don't you know there's corruption in religious institutions, right? You hear, you hear the pushback. Why would you save yourself for marriage and your dating relationship, right? All of these different things. When you talk about the way of Jesus, it 100% flies in the face of the way of this world. And not only will it seem foolish, but you will be called a fool. I've heard, and I've heard people say, well, this is what my, my friend or this is what my family member is giving me advice to do. And the very first question I ask, if it's bad, especially if it's bad advice, do they love Jesus? Do they have the Holy Spirit of God living in them? Because oftentimes that's, that's the, the very best litmus test to understand whether it's true wisdom or whether it's the wisdom of this world. Step two is to acknowledge. Step three, pray. Even though God already knows our needs, he still asks us to ask him. So when we pray, we just, you can pray this simple prayer. I want to equip you with this prayer, okay? God, help me know dot, dot, dot. Think about whatever that question you have, whatever that, that situation, whatever that area of your life, God, would you help me know what to do with my kids? Would you help me know what to do with my finances? Would you help me know what to do with my job or these relationships? See, we are taught by Jesus to ask, seek, and knock, even though your heavenly Father already knows what you need, because it's the rule of the kingdom. I don't make the rules, and you don't either. It's the rules that God made. Even though he knows what you need, he knows you need wisdom, he's not just going to give it to you. He wants you to go to him first. He wants us to ask. 
and he wants us to keep asking until we have our answer, to be persistent. Often it's not like Solomon, where it's a one-time prayer and we have all the answers we need. We have the full roadmap. It's a day-by-day dependence on the Holy Spirit to lead us and guide us through life. But here's the beautiful thing about this kind of prayer. We know that this is a prayer that is pleasing to God. In James 1.5, the brother of Christ writes, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. Now, even in James 1, there's some stipulations. You've got to ask in faith, not ask to spend on your own you know, desires and all that sort of stuff. But, but you realize that in the same way that God is rich in mercy, he's generous in wisdom. In the same way that God is abundant in joy, he's generous in wisdom. In the same way that God is lavish in grace, he's generous in wisdom. Do you get the idea? That God has the wisdom and he has a willingness to share it with us because he knows that wisdom is only going to help us follow him and live a life that's pleasing to him. So God's not up in heaven like, oh, you wanna know what to do? Sorry. Keep trying your best. Try to figure it out a little bit on your own. He's generous. And he's desiring to give us the wisdom to live a life that's pleasing to him. But this begs the question, how? How exactly does God give us wisdom? Is Is it a lightning strike? Is it like the cartoons where someone, you know, they're like, oh, they face a problem and they think for a moment and something appears over their head? Bing! Light bulb, right? Is that it? Is it like Archimedes, that famous tale about Archimedes, he's got to figure out the difference between mass and volume, and he's like, I don't know what to do, and so he has a bath, and the water splashes out of the bath, and he knows, you know, there's different volumes depending on density and all the rest, and he gets out, and he's like, Eureka, Eureka! Is that it? No, I think the idea is that what Solomon actually prays for is he, notice he doesn't actually, it doesn't say, Lord, give me wisdom. He prays for an understanding mind which literally is translated as a listening heart, which I think is a beautiful way to describe wisdom, is it not? A listening heart. So what Solomon is praying for is not the answers to the questions, he's praying for the ability to learn and to receive the wisdom he needs throughout the course of his life so that he will be prepared to do what God has for him. And I think when you pray for wisdom, you can expect God to answer through three different ways, okay? There's like subcategories on your notes. The first one is through God's word. God's word is a lamp to our feet and a light to your path. And so often we're praying for God to give us wisdom. God, give me wisdom. And we're looking at like billboards or we're trying to read into like signs that God might be giving us in our like Honey Nut Cheerios or something. And we're like, Lord. And then our Bibles are just covered in dust in the corner. You want wisdom? Read Proverbs. Read one of the wisdom books. Read James. Read the Sermon on the Mount. Even better, memorize chunks of it. A listening heart, when we learn to hide God's word in our heart, not that we're hiding it, but we're storing it there. We're allowing God's word to dwell richly in us. What's gonna happen is when you face circumstances that you don't know what to do, the Holy Spirit now has a wealth of wisdom and understanding that you've saturated your very being with that that he will bring those things to mind in those situations. And I've experienced that time and time and time again. But it's not gonna work if the book's closed. 
So I wonder how often, God, give me the answer, give me the answer, give me the answer, and I wonder how often God's like, open my word and let it be a lamp to your feet and a light to your path. That's the first way. The second way that that you can expect God to give you wisdom is through wise counselors. We live in a hyper-individualistic society, and so that's why Google and ChatGPT are kind of our our new go-to, because it's embarrassing to admit in humility, I don't know what to do. And so we, we tend, to rely on our search history than we rely on wise counselors. And, and you, could, you could supplement that adjective wise to godly counselors, people who have the Holy Spirit living in them. So you can rely on the fact that they're going to give you biblical wisdom. In Proverbs 11, verse 14, it says, where there is no guidance, a people falls, but in an abundance of counselors, there is safety. Do you have an abundance of counselors? These are the teachers, these are pastors, these are parents, these are mentors, these are life group leaders, people that you can call on in times of need. Every time I've encountered a dicey decision that I've had to make, I try to be slow to make a decision and I try to to call up or to meet with some of these wise counselors in my life to give me good discernment. Now those people aren't infallible either. I haven't done exactly what every single mentor has told me to do before. And yet, how are you going to weigh the advice or the wisdom from that counselor? You're going to weigh it against, against the word. And then the third place that you can expect God to give you wisdom, if you have an open heart, a listening heart, is through his Holy Spirit directly. This is the Holy Spirit speaking to you in times of silence, solitude, prayers, visions, dreams like Solomon says this in John 16, verse 13, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. And so if the Holy Spirit lives inside of you, dwells within you, this is what it means to walk by the Holy Spirit. You begin to discern the voice of God in your everyday life, to follow him, to listen to him where he leads you to go. Now the Holy Spirit is never gonna lead you to go or to do something that is contrary to what the Holy Spirit has inspired in the word of God. You see this? We've gotta keep going back to the word, because it can be difficult to discern. Is that the Holy Spirit? Is that my own kind of desires, lust of the flesh showing up? Is that just a bad burrito I had yesterday? I knew I shouldn't have gone to Taco Bell. Like, what is it? And so you discern it. You discern what you feel like God is speaking to you, what you're listening in times of silence and solitude. But again, when we move closer to God, he's gonna speak more clearly. And so all of this grows out of a depth of relationship, a depth of presence. We can't have this one hour on a Sunday relationship with God and expect to just hear God speak to us on a burning bush on our commute to work. It has to grow out of a depth of relationship. Let's see how God responds to Solomon's prayer for wisdom. 1 Kings 3 verse 10. It pleased the Lord. It pleases the Lord when Solomon asked for wisdom, and it pleases the Lord when you and I ask for wisdom. That Solomon had asked this, and God said to him, because you have asked this, and have not asked yourself for a long life or riches or the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right, behold, I now do according to your word. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind, so that none like you has been before you, and none like you shall arise after you. So here's step four. Step four is you actually acquire the wisdom. And so you go from I don't know to I know what to do. 
And this is significant because this is the difference between wisdom and understanding. Understanding is having the right facts, having the information, having the knowledge. Do we, we live in an information-rich society, and yet we live in a wisdom-starved society. So the difference between wisdom and understanding is wisdom is actually knowledge rightly applied. It's when you're able to implement the knowledge. I've heard it defined as the skill in the art of godly living. And so Solomon here becomes wise. God grants his request. He has the right mind. He has the right heart. And we know that he would go on to have like plenty of intelligence and book smarts, and he would write Proverbs, and he would write Song of Solomon and Ecclesiastes, and, and, and even writings we don't have recorded in Scripture, and he accumulates wisdom and understanding. But more importantly than all of that, he actually has the wisdom to govern rightly, to be a good king, because that's what he asked for in the first place. And we see this example at the end of 1 Kings chapter 3. You can go and read it later. It's a, it's a beautiful example, and it's also a brutal example. I'll summarize it for you. Of There's two prostitutes living in the same house, and they each have a baby, both new babies, and one of the, the children dies during the night. And so the mother of the, one, the child who died switches the children because she thinks kids look the same. Mom's never going to know. Wake up in the morning. Of course, the mom does know. And so they go before the king. And so you, here you have a catch-22. There's no DNA testing. There's no witnesses. Like, this mom says, this is my, the living child's my child. This one says, this, the living child's my child. And there's no way to know. And so this is now an opportunity, which, by the way, leaders have to deal with, not this exact situation, but le- leaders have to deal with very complex, difficult situations all the time. Like, it doesn't seem like there's a right answer. And you have to figure out what is the best way forward even when there is no right answer. And so Solomon, this is like, this is like the story that exemplifies he doesn't just have book smarts. What's he going to do? How is he going to discern between good and evil? How is he going to govern his people? And so what Solomon does, maybe you've heard the story before. It's a, famous, it's a legendary story. And he says, I know what to do. And he bring the baby up here. And he's got the baby. And he's like, all right, hold the baby outright. Bring me a sword. And everyone's like, what do you need a sword for? And he gets, gets the sword. And he's like, you're both arguing over this child. Here's the solution. Chop it in half. You each get half. And this is like, everyone's like, you don't have wisdom. You are insane. <laughs> what, are you, what happened in that dream? And uh, what happens is, in his wisdom, the mother who this is not her child is like, who cares? I've already lost my child. Chop the baby in half. And the mother who's the, the true mother is like, I would rather have my child live with a different mom than die right here in the palace. And she yields. And she says, give the child to to the other woman, and Solomon says, aha, you are the true mother, and he gives the child back. And this is like, there's no way, there's no way to figure it out, and yet Solomon finds a way. That is wisdom. It's not just, I know, it's I know what, I know what to do. You're going to encounter situations that it's not just like, oh, it'd be interesting to, to understand this a little bit better, but you have to do something. Do you see that? You, you've got to figure out your marriage. You got to figure out your finances. You can't just like get to your taxes and be like, ah, oh, this is an interesting problem. You know, to, like, you're going to have to pay them at some point. Like you have to figure this stuff out. And that's what wisdom helps us with. Not just God, can you figure it out for me? It's God, give me the wisdom so that I can know what to do. Now, the tragic irony of Solomon, if you read through the end of 1 Kings, is he stops listening to his own wisdom. 
There are things that Solomon begins to do later on in his reign that proves this disobedience to God. Specifically, you can actually study this if you want. In Deuteronomy chapter 17, Moses prophetically warns against the ages of the kings of Israel, and he gives three warnings. They're not supposed to take many wives for themselves. They're not supposed to accumulate horses, which seems odd. And they're also not supposed to accumulate riches. And the reason why horses is horses is essentially like military power. Does that make sense? And, uh, and also Egypt has horses, and so it'll draw their hearts back to Egypt. Anyways, Solomon, you can read this, in the end of 1 Kings chapter 10 into chapter 11, it says like he systematically disobeys the three prophetic warnings of Moses. He marries many women, he gets a ton of horses, and he accumulates riches. And by the, end of Sol- by the beginning of Solomon's reign, he looks like his father David. He loves God. He's acting in wisdom. He builds a temple. He does these amazing accomplishments. By the end of his reign, he looks less like David and more like Pharaoh. He has slaves. He has riches. He has many wives, and he's worshiping foreign gods. And so this, this brings us to the point where we have to just acknowledge that, and we have to recognize that even this prayer that God answered was conditional for Solomon. Look at the end of 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 14. And if, anytime you read an if, it's a conditional word, and if you walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and my commandments, as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. So God knows at this point that, that, that perhaps there will come a point where it's not enough to just have wisdom at one point. We have to continually rely on the wisdom of God, and this leads us to step five, if you're taking notes. Step five is obedience. And this is re- truly the end goal of wisdom is not just to get a bunch of smart people who know what to do, but to get a community of believers who do it. Who do it. Who rely on the Lord, who humble ourselves before the Lord. We rely on him to give him uh, his way of life for us to follow. And then we, we know what to do and he shows us. We've, we've gotta, there's one more step. We've actually gotta do it. So here's the question for you today. Will you walk in God's ways? Will you walk in God's ways this week? I mean, what if he shows you something to do with your finances that's gonna cost you sacrificially? What if he shows you something that's gonna require you a lot of effort in talking to your neighbor and praying for them and in sharing the gospel with them? What if he's gonna call you out of your comfort zone, which, spoiler alert, he almost always does. (laughs) Will you do it? James, the brother of Jesus, writes, anyone who knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, him that is sin. And so true wisdom gets us not just to the point where we understand the right thing to do, but it gets us to the point where we actually do it. Or if you read the end of the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 7, this is the punchline of the whole Sermon on the Mount. It's the difference between the wise and the foolish man. One builds his house on the rock, one builds his house on the sand. And, and the storm comes for both. And one, the house is completely devastated and crushed, and the other one stands firm no matter what life has to throw at them. And you want to know the difference between those two people? They both heard the words. They both actually, we might say, had the wisdom to do the right thing. The difference is one actually did it. One actually obeyed. So here at the end, what I want to invite you to do is I want to invite you this week to pray for wisdom. Would you do that? Would you think through the areas of your life, maybe the prayer requests that you've been praying, 
and add wisdom into that. God, help me to know. Help me to know. But then when you pray for wisdom, it's a dangerous prayer. You're going to get to the point where God shows you the right thing to do. I want to challenge you to do it, to walk by the Holy Spirit every step of the way. And I want to also invite you to pray for wisdom for your leaders, uh, specifically me. Would you pray for wisdom for me? I don't, think it's, uh, I, don't, I don't think it's an accident that Solomon is the king of Israel, and he's looking at all the challenges of leadership, and he's like, Lord, give me the wisdom to discern how to govern this people. And we're just at a, at a stage in our church where I think we're in one of those seasons where looking at the new year and looking at the growth, and it's like, how many more services are we going to have to add here? How are we going to disciple this great people that God, and God is causing growth and God is bringing people to himself, but we just need wisdom. And so I want to invite you to pray. Will you pray for me for wisdom? Today is my birthday. Did you know that? That's your, that can be your birthday. That can be, that can be your birthday gift for me. Would you pray for wisdom, not just for myself as a lead pastor, but for our, our pastors, our elders, our staff. There's a lot of challenges that, and complexity that comes with growth, and I would just invite you to be praying for us. We, we have a uh, new series starting next week called Multiply. It's our Christmas series. It actually has nothing to do with Christmas, but I made it a Christmas tree, though. <laughs> so it'll at least, even if the content isn't Christmas-themed, you'll feel the spirit of the season. Um, <clears throat> And just a kind of a spoiler for, for this season, our, our goal is not addition growth for us as a church to grow bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. Our goal is to multiply, to, for kingdom multiplication, for disciples to make more disciples, for groups to launch more groups, and ultimately for our church to be able to plant, Lord willing, many churches. And this is what we need wisdom for. So I'm excited. We're going to spend four weeks exploring that. And you're going to get to hear from myself as well as the other staff pastors just a little bit of a heart for the vision for what this new year might look like for us. Uh, with that, let me just pray and ask God to give us understanding minds. Lord Jesus, we just acknowledge this morning that you are the author of creation, that your ways are so much higher than our ways. We thank you for giving us your Holy Spirit. Would you give us ears to hear? Would you help us to move closer to you, to hear your still small voice this week? Give us a listening heart. Give us an understanding mind, not just to know these things, but to know what to do so that we can follow you well and live a life that glorifies you. I pray for our church. Give us the wisdom to know what this next season might bring. We don't expect you to give us the whole roadmap. We just pray that you would give us the next step. We pray that we would be able to be a church that multiplies and that we see more kingdom growth for you. All for your glory and your kingdom. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to the Hill City Church Podcast. You can find out more about our church at hillcityboise.org. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Hill City Boise. We hope this teaching has encouraged you and helps you follow Jesus with everything.